Well, grab your Bibles. We are in Daniel. We're going to jump right in this morning. It says, Daniel 1.1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Do, do we fit that description, guys? Anybody want to? No, uh, no hands? There we go. Okay. That's good. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved. I love that right there. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So the next few months... We're going to immerse ourselves in a story that begins in the summer of 605 B.C. It's a story of conflict between, uh, between Judah and Babylon. But it's also a story of conflict between a very powerful king in this world and four young men. Then the later, later the story takes on a magnitude that, that has huge world implications as Daniel goes from past to present to future on us. And, uh, you know, beyond three dimensions, in a sense, to, to, to dimensions that, were, that are even hard for us to understand. And we'll go through it verse by verse, as we have a habit of, of doing, and we're going to have a blast as we do it. Some of it we're going to understand, and some of it we're going to get, and we're going to nail and say, wow, that, that really relates to me. Others, other of this, we're going to look at and go, okay, I just can't even wrap my head around that. And that is Okay. Because some things the Lord has just kind of blinded our eyes to when it comes to the future. But we're going to look at it and try to figure it out. And when we get done, we're going to have a feeling, uh, feeling for the book of Daniel, for the book of Ezekiel, and even the book of Revelation as we hit some of that. Because we are living in the end times. We're living in end times when God is calling people of all, all ages to uncompromised faith. To stand up and say, this is what I believe in, and it doesn't matter the consequences. Because shallow faith is not going to cut it in this world. Just turn on the TV, and you can see between news shows and talk shows and any other show on there, uh, you know, late night TV, everything, your faith, if it's shallow, is right along with those. Shallow faith will not cut it. Because truth is more important than ever today. Truth is truth, 
Evil is evil. Good is good. And it's becoming more and more clear to those who have opened their eyes. And not just to the Christian world, but to the whole world. It seems lately, as the Bible says, good has become bad and bad has become good. Have you seen any, any of that at all? Yeah. We see it all over the place. In the world's eyes, truth is not truth. Truth is what I make it. It's my truth. And my truth and your truth can be completely different. And that is not how God sets it out. Our basis, our foundation of truth is God and what God says. What Jesus came to reveal to us in this world. The world is looking for people to be, you know, dare to be Daniels. Dare to take the same risk. And it's going to be very exciting. I mean, you have a powerful king trying to re-educate some equally powerful teenagers. Now, each week as we study this, the Holy Spirit is going to kind of unlock different applications to us that happened 2,600 years ago. And we'll find some personal and some practical application from something that, I mean, literally 2,600 years ago. It's crazy. In the Middle East, and it survived. And all you must do is open the paper and read the events that are happening today near Babylon to know that it relates to us today. Now, our part in this thing is not just to study the, you know, on the weekend or Sunday, and, and you know, we're going we're gonna to get to the, a better time of the year where the weather starts to become a little nicer. I'm, a, I'm hoping like the next couple of days are our last hundreds, you know what I mean? We're supposed to be like 104, 105, and then we're supposed to be down in the 90s. And I'm really hoping it stays in the 90s. But it gives you a chance to, to get out and see God's world. It gets a chance to where you want to take a vacation or take a weekend. But I also want to encourage you that if you miss a Sunday, um, go t- find it online. Because we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to be very diligent about putting this series up online because it can be a powerful series if we listen to it and we apply it to our lives. But if we don't apply it, it's not powerful. Daniel is one of those books that builds upon itself. And if you invite someone, you kind of have to bring them up to speed a little bit. So I thought we should have a little refresher course today of the entire Old Testament before we jumped into the book of Daniel. You think we can do it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for your vote of confidence, Ken. He just shakes his head no. Genesis 1, God created man. Moses writes and tells us in Genesis 1, 28, that God, uh, that as soon as God created human beings, he blessed them and spent time with them, commanding them to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. God gave many commands, and, and, and this was among the first. And this was a command. So let's be accurate. Human history does not begin with apes. We've gone over that in our our Genesis series. It's online. Go listen to it. But it starts out with very intelligent human beings created by God himself. And he said, go out and procreate and manage this planet. God calls us to manage this planet. And for us as humans, we have to look at our surroundings and figure out how to live within our resources that we have. Now, God would say, I think... 
In some instances, he would say, you're doing a really good job on that. In other instances, he would say, you've done a very poor job of managing your resources in other ways, right? Some environmentalists would say, we've always done a terrible job, and that would be wrong, I think. There are different things that we can do to help, but we should not go to the extreme to think that we're not in charge of the earth. And what I mean is, God asks us to subdue it. God asks us to be in charge, um, not the animals. The animals are not in charge, okay? So let's not flip that. Now, in Genesis 11, we see that, uh, you know, I'm going real fast. See, 1 to 11 already. Uh, you know, 11 chapters. I don't think I've ever done 11 chapters in one teaching. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I have. I don't know. But the whole earth had one language. And we're, and, and we're still supposed to go out and do what? Multiply, right? And subdue the land. And man is centered in the, in the Middle East, and there's on a huge plain. It's called the plain of Shinar. And basically, it's the center of the human culture at this point. And Moses uh, says in Genesis 11:4 that man said, let's build a city that will, will, will show off how powerful we are with a tower that will reach the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, what was God's command back in Genesis 1:28? Go forth and multiply and fill the earth. He didn't say go forth and multiply and stay all in one area so you can just be a mighty people. So we see the intention here. So God decides he's going to step in. It's one of those times when the parents are just letting the kids go and have fun and finally the parent goes, okay, that's enough, i got to step in. It's kind of like one of those times. So God, I found that he's, he's incredibly more patient than I am. Um, I, I don't know if you've noticed that about you and God. Uh, God is incredibly more patient uh, because it takes him 11 chapters before he steps in. And God always frustrates me uh, about when he is disciplining other people because my time schedule, I'm like, hey, 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 I brought this attention to you at 10 a.m., God, and it's 1048 and you still haven't dealt with it. You know, we want things to be done like that. But God's timetable is completely different. He's really slow to step in with, with people. And eventually, he's going to do something. And, and because these people in, Sh- in the plan of Shinar are, are not obeying his command, they are making a name for themselves and not for God. And they're clustering in one place and not filling the earth. Well, in Genesis 11:5, Moses shows up uh, or shows us how the Lord responds. It says the Lord saw what was going on with the tower, and He said, "This is not going to work. This is not going to work for them, and it's not going to work for us." And here we see the us, the beginning of what we understand as the Trinity. So God is talking to Himself, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and Himself. So in verse 7, he says, let's confuse their words. So we see God working his will anyway. He's just incredibly patient in doing so. Now, what does this, you know, what does this have to do with the book of Daniel? I know many of you are thinking, well, in Genesis eleven nine, 9, Moses tells us that a place that, that they were wanting to make for themselves was a place called what? 
Anyone? Babel, which is what? Babylon. Okay? The same place. This is the roots of the city. Babylon is born in the midst of a vocal confusion caused by God. So now Daniel, in the story, is a very long time after what happened in the beginnings of Babylon. It includes God's people you know, being taken back to Babylon after he scattered them. And this would be a good question to ask. Why would God take people back to Babylon? In fact, we're going to talk about this, but I love the words, God delivered them. You know, we, we, we think of God delivering us from evil, right? We think of God rescuing us, delivering. And here God's going, here, I'm going to deliver you right into the hands of the enemy. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But, but what is going on here between Genesis and Babylon is a greater question, or, or the greater question would be, why is this one city mentioned in Genesis? Why is this one city mentioned in Daniel? And then why is this one city also mentioned in Revelations? Why in the beginning of the Bible and in the middle of the Bible and the end of the Bible does it show up? Is this a coincidence? I don't think so. There's nothing outside this major, uh, you know, uh, or there's nothing outside of God's appearance here. God has a hand in everything that happens, and it's hard for me to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp that God has a hand of what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Anybody else in those shoes? God has a part in everything. And another question would be, in Babylon, or is Babylon mentioned in any other book? That's a good homework assignment. <laughs> Didn't know you were going to get homework, right? Genesis 11.31 says, Terah took his son Abram, which we know as Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When he came to Haran, they settled there. What is north of Canaan? <laughs> Genesis 12.1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. At age 75, Abraham goes to Canaan, and here's one of the, this is the gate that they, would, uh, they believed he would have went through. It's a picture we took in 2008 when we went to, uh, uh, went to Israel, and it's a, that, they had these huge gates to enter into the city, and you would go in, and then you would turn a corner, and then you'd turn another corner, and you'd turn another corner, and you'd turn another corner. Why, why would you turn so many corners? That way you couldn't invade really quickly, right? They'd have places to pick you off, okay? So this is the gate in the land of Canaan and the big cities that Abraham would have gone through as he entered into the land. It's pretty cool that it's there, you know? 
Abraham hits the age of 100, and Isaac is born. Isaac grows up and marries Rebekah and has Jacob. Jacob's as he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, he changes his name to Israel. And Israel eventually has 12 sons who sell their brother Joseph into slavery in Egypt. See, we're already in the book of Exodus. Where all the children of Israel end up in Egypt for 400 years. And Moses comes and leads them, you know, the, leads the nation of slaves into the wilderness and a freedom. And when God gives them the law, you know, at uh, Sinai, he then leads them into or to the promised land. But because of their, you know, their lack of faith, they send out spies into the wilderness and, or into the promised land. And they come back and they lacked faith that, they, that God could take them in there and win the land over from the people. That God made them go back out into the wilderness for 40 years until the faithless generation dies. Moses stands in Jericho. Modern-day Jericho on that side, on Mount Nebo, and looks into the promised land. And God takes Moses when he dies and buries him, and, and no one even knows where his tomb is. Then Joshua leads the people into the promised land. We're now in the book of Joshua. They occupy the land, sort of. In many instances, they choose to cohabitate with the very people God told them to drive out. He said, these people are going to lead you astray. Drive them out. Get rid of them. You know, as a parent, we want to make sure our kids have good, good um, influences on them, right? And when there's a bad influence, you're like, no, 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 no. We need to, that, we're going to drive that kid out of our house. In other words, they're not welcome here. That's what Israel was supposed to do. They were supposed to drive out the bad influences, but they didn't. And it caused problems to this very day in Israel. Israelites live in Canaan uh, in, the, in the 12 tribal areas that are ruled by judges. And a final judge was Samuel. And they demanded a king, which was Saul, that they picked. And then David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. See, we made it all the way to 1 Samuel now and hit kings. Rehoboam is Solomon's son who splits the kingdom in the first few weeks of his reign and the kingdoms never come back together. You get the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is, is known as Israel and, and they never had godly leadership over them. Every king takes them down the wrong path. Every leader and in 722 B.C., the Assyrians sweep down, and God uses them to punish. He delivers them into the hand of the enemy, and he punishes the ten northern tribes for, for walking away from him, to take them captive and to rule their lands. And the nor ten northern tri tribes disappeared, and they're known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom is also known as Judah, and, and they have a few good kings and they have a few bad ones the bad ones go toward the 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 idea of worshiping other gods the babylonian god i mean not the babylonian gods but the the canaanite gods that are in the area and, you know and one great exception to this is a guy like king josiah in fact my my firstborn his middle name is josiah ironic my second son his middle name is daniel okay 
But Josiah makes wonderful and great decisions until he was killed in the area of Har Megiddo, which we would understand as Armageddon. The Egyptian king Necho defeats him, and Necho puts Josiah's son in as a puppet king over over Judah named Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim does not know his father's ways. This leads us to the book of Daniel. So now you have an overview of the Hebrew history. Now there's a lot more to that, but I kind of wanted to, to set the scene of where we're here. You had all these kings, good and bad, and, stuff, and God is punishing them because they walked away from him. Daniel chapter 1, in the summer, oh, here's a picture of uh, the uh, uh, Armageddon or Harmageddon, as they call it over there. That valley. In fact, this valley is the most traveled valley in ancient times because the way you, that's the valley that you get to Africa from all the other areas, Asia and all that come up and they go down to Africa and it's the way to get up uh, toward the northern side going toward Turkey and all that kind of stuff. So this is the most traveled valley and that valley is going to be part of the end times war. So Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So Jehoiakim is Josiah's son, right? Puppet king. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is one of the several different raids that Nebuchadnezzar brought to Judah. And he just can't get enough. He just keeps coming back. And the first one is since 605 B.C., and it will go on for years. And he keeps coming back and stealing the cream of the crop. In other words, those that were educated, those who understood, those who were learned, those who understood how to, how to take care of government issues, how to take care of society. Because what, what happens when you take those people away? Well, it turns into chaos, right? You know, you put somebody who doesn't understand city issues in charge of the city, and the city doesn't go that far, does it? Kind of reminds me of Congress. Just, just a thought, I don't know. Now, Daniel tells us that this didn't happen because Nebuchadnezzar was so powerful. Verse 2, it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. So despite appearances, Jehoiakim, uh, you know, uh, God is in the one that's in control of the story. Not Jehoiakim, not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes to Israel in a series of raids because the Lord allows him to do this. Now, when I sat and I thought about this, it really kind of makes me kind of shudder a little bit. I start to realize that God not only delivers us from evil when we cry out to him, but there's times when God delivers us to evil. Because we stopped crying out to him. God will allow us to get into negative situations. God will allow us to get into terrible situations. And part of it is God is going, wake up. That was for anybody that was sleeping. I was just trying to wake you up. Um, But God is just trying to get our attention. Now, This is not a shallow, friendly, little, God-loves-you type of written word. This is not a feel-good written word. 
You know the ones I'm talking about, the ones that just put a smile on your little frowny face because God loves you. And he does, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not saying that he doesn't. But sometimes the loving father doesn't have the loving look on his face, does he? Because he's trying to get your attention. It's a truthful reality that is shocking to many of us as we feel that our father you know, has been known throughout you know, history to deliver his people from evil to realize that God will allow us to walk ourselves right into it or allow us to be on the side and pulled into it because of other people. Other people. Here, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we know them, these are four young men who are following the Lord, and they got pulled into this evilness. That's shocking to me. You know, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And one of the phrases was, deliver us from evil, because Jesus knows the Father. We need to constantly be praying, deliver us from evil, because if we're not, God tried to warn them over and over and over. This didn't just happen on a Friday because God was bored. This happened because God put one king after another king, giving them different chances to come toward God. And they would have a good king, and they would go toward God, and then a generation later, they would go away from God. God gave them chances. Over hundreds of years, he said to Judah, or said to the, the tribe, stop disobeying, stop worshiping idols, stop sinning. Judah even had the privilege of watching their northern cousins getting taken off by the Assyrians, taken into captivity. And here we are, 118 years later from that, in 605 BC, how many you know, years of warning did they need just one more year and we'll get it straightened out. But Judah still did not listen. God has tried everything. God has says, said, guys, I am the only God. Listen to me. In fact, you could pass a course in, in minor and major prophets just by learning this. Every one of them. Amos, Obadiah, uh, Jonah, you know, Micah, Nahum, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They all said the very same thing hundreds of years apart. The very same thing. They said that God says this. I am the only God. I am a father who loves his children, a shepherd who loves his sheep. I'm the bridegroom who loves his bride. And these are all metaphors. I'm a wealthy landowner who loves his children. And I've built walls to protect them. I'm a God who provides for you. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I will even give you things, vineyards that you did not even plant. I will give you cattle that you did not even raise. I will give you homes that you didn't even build. Why? Because I am God. I'm your father. I'm going to take care of you because I love you. You are my bride. But here's the deal. When a bride becomes adulterous, God says, that makes me very angry. That makes me jealous. Luckily, God doesn't split on us. God stays faithful and says, come back. 
And we say, oh man, that, that God, that Old Testament God is really, really harsh. I mean, we read the Old Testament and we see harshness all over the place. But would our reaction be, well, when my bride is adulterous, it doesn't bother me at all. Would we react that way? No. When my you know, sheep stray off the cliff, ah, no big deal. I don't mind losing a few. When wolves come into my vineyard, I'll just let them eat whatever they want to eat. That's what cattle ranchers do, right? I don't care. I'm not like that harsh Old Testament God. I'm much nicer than the God of the Old Testament. I don't have wrath. But Daniel is going to teach us, before it teaches us anything else, that sometimes God says, enough is enough. I've had it. And that's not me talking, that's God talking. Our God will wait five years, ten years, hundreds of years, even thousands of years before he does stuff like what we're going to read about in this book. But one thing I've learned over the years is it's not just an Old Testament teaching. Our God is the same yesterday as he is today as he is forever. It's the same exact God because God never changes. And just because a person thinks they're getting away with it, just because a family thinks they're getting away with it, just because a city or a school or a company or a group of people think they're getting away with it, even nations think they're getting away with it, they're not. And when you, know, when you study this week what Babylon is, because you should be looking up everywhere Babylon is in the Bible, you're going to shudder. Because on one hand, you're going to be talking about being carried off to Babylon. In one chapter, you're going to realize, wait, wait a second, we are Babylon. And then you're going to realize, wait, 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 we live in Babylon. God says through the prophet Amos, I am a provider. God says through the prophet Hosea, I'm a lover, an unconditional lover, you adulterous people, and I still love you. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I am going to judge you. And even while I'm judging you, I have a plan for you, and it isn't to harm you. Can you imagine being these prophets? Which style of God am I going to be talking about today? And God says, the same God, because I don't change. And we say as a prophet, but I can't say that to the king. He'll, he's going to kill me. Do you know what Jesus said to the rulers the week of his death? You have killed all the prophets. Most of the Old Testament is about two things. The first one is business. It teaches us how to conduct ourselves in business. It says don't try to rip each other off. Be honest with each other. I'm amazed at how much business advice is in the, you know, in, the, in the Old Testament scriptures. The second thing is, it's about recognizing and only serving the one true God. He says, I want you to serve me only. I don't want you to be, you know, the split personality. And we say, well, that doesn't sound very hard. 
I want to only worship you too. And God says, I don't want 70% of your worship. And then 30% goes to the world, to the Canaanite gods. That'll be another, you know, uh, homework assignment sometime. What are the Canaanite gods? And ask yourself, what is the modern application to those Canaanite gods? Because then we start realizing maybe we're chasing after some of these Canaanite gods. And then we start to realize, maybe I've married someone who follows the Canaanite gods. Or maybe I'm looking for someone who follows those Canaanite gods. And how does that relate to my life? Where does that lead me? I would rather you not marry and be lonely for those that are single than to marry someone who's worshiping the Canaanite gods. So finally, after all the years of compromising, he says, all right, if you like those gods so much and you cannot stand to be, you know, without them, I'm going to take you to a place that's like Canaanite times 10. Because in Babylon, they, they, it'll blow your mind, the number of gods that they worship there. God says, if you like it so much, you're going to love Babylon. And I'm going to leave you there for an entire generation. Unfortunately, there's four young men and others, but especially four young men, teenage boys, who don't deserve to be there. They're there because of the parents' sin. It's interesting how our young ones are reaping the consequences of our mistakes. That happens sometimes. The goal is to stop those mistakes. The goal is the next generation to stop that. And we need to do everything we can to, to, to not allow those mistakes to be followed through for the next generation. In Romans, Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. And, and you know, there's a reality it's a, it's a warning here. You know, it's like don't walk into the street where cars are running by. Why? You'll get hit. What do we teach our kids? Look left, look right. That's what the Bible says to us. See that God? Don't go there. So what we're going to be hit with in the book of Daniel is that we're going to be taken to Babylon. And it doesn't matter if we're Daniel and the three buddies or, or if we're the nameless person who, who deserves to be there. The question is, what are we going to do once we get there? Are we going to gripe and complain? I'll be there in that line, you know. Or what lesson can I learn so I can leave as soon as possible? And let me go back to the promise. Now, here's the interesting thing for some of us. Some of us can read the Bible and learn and go, okay, and then that's it. And there's other, others of us who read it and we look around and say, well, <laughs> they're doing it. And we say, okay, I, I shouldn't do that. I, I'm observing other people and what they're doing. Look at the path they're on. Let me, let me choose a different path. That's a good. And then there's the third group. And this, this group says, I know the Bible says it. And I see that person over there that disobeyed it. And I see the consequences. But, hey, that won't happen to me. No, 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 no. I got a good head on my shoulders. There's no way that could happen to me. I can be in the same situation. That won't happen to me. 
I'm just dabbling in it. I'm not living in Babylon. I'm just vacationing there. Uh, and I still don't get why people love Las Vegas. I, I don't, as a Christian, I, I just don't get it. So if you go to Vegas, don't tell me you're going because I'm going to give you the stink eye. My wife has to go there ever so often on a, um, yeah, she has to go there, right? No. Um, she has business trips and she has to go there. Uh, there's a conference that she has continuing education for her, her you know, professional engineering certification or whatever. But I, I just don't understand it. People are like, well, I'm mature enough to handle it. And besides that, I did it three times and there was no consequences. I must be a New Testament Christian because grace just covers me. You see, the Canaanite gods are fun. They are. Las Vegas can be fun, right? For the world's view, from the world's viewpoint, people go with me here, right? Okay. They can be fun. But the Bible says God will warn us and 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 warn us. And then you know what he does? He warns us again. Even people who are watching our lives will say, how are they getting away with that? And we're like uh, the New Testament story the, of the foolish virgin, uh, virgins who are, who are caught unaware with no oil in their lamps, so they're not prepared for the groom to come, for Jesus to be here. So what are we going to, do, uh, you know, to be doing through this study in the book of Daniel? We're going to be asking ourselves, who am I in the story? And we're going to be praising a God that will be taking us to Babylon. And even as we're listening this week and we realize that there's a reason why my life has been screwed up. Maybe I'm the one that walked down that path. And the one thing we're all going to realize is that we live in Babylon. And that God can teach us about Babylon. And here's the beauty of it. The very purpose of Babylon is not so people would be rejected by God. I'm going to punish you, I'm going to send you there, and you're going to stay there forever. This is your punishment. That is not the whole point. The whole point is to realize if that's really what you want, then you can go there. I'll allow it. But his point is, but this isn't good for you. I want you to come back to me. Come back to me. That's the very purpose so that we would fall on our face at the appearance of God in repentance. So we would say, I want to go back to the promised land. And when I get back, you, you, you will see that I, that I mean it this time, God. You will see that I mess up, but I'll, I'm going to keep coming back to you. Not just by words, not just by tears, but by my actions. Where you say, I'm sick of the Canaanite God, sick of evil people, sick of sin and how it's affected me and my family, and now I should, I, I, I'll be along with Joshua and what he said. What did Joshua say? As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. But while we're in Babylon, what happens? The Babylonians are whipping us and we're getting scars. 
Now, I haven't even got to the most beautiful part yet. Even as God sends us to Babylon, he already has a plan for our redemption. Isn't that amazing about God? From the minute that he allows them to be sent, he's saying already, before they even go, I'm going to bring you back. And this is what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was bringing us back. The Lord was making a way where there was no other way as the song goes. So don't walk out of here feeling guilty of your sins. Don't say, man, Alan, I'm going to try harder. Because I can tell you from experience, trying harder means about one mill cycle and one sleep cycle, and then I'm back to the old Alan. Jesus came so we could break the try harder cycle. So we could understand the blood of Jesus breaks those bonds. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. By the cross I was saved. By his stripes I am healed. By his wounds I'm saved from my transgressions, my sins. This week you'll be presented with the Holy Spirit going, saying to you, hey, is is that a Canaanite God in your life? Because that's not of me. And you're going to be like, oh, man. And he's going to say, you want to stop that? And we say, yeah, I'm going to try harder. And he goes, no, 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 no. Because by your power, you're not going to be able to accomplish it. But by my spirit that lives in you, I can help you with that if you want. And you have to decide, do I repent of it or not? And I want you to understand that your Redeemer lives, and he wants to bring you out of Babylon. He wants to bring you out of the bondage, out of the sin. And you will need him to help fight those Canaanite gods, and he'll use you to fight them, but it'll be his spirit that gets the glory. It'll be him that gets the glory, instead of you just trying to resist him on your own. Because we are powerless before sin. But with the Holy Spirit, the power just ramps up in us. It's like when I have my six-year-old. You know, he thinks he can jump so high. But then I give him an extra boost and his eyes get really wide when he gets way up here. You know what I'm saying? That's the Holy Spirit. And our eyes get wide when we see God working, when he gives us that boost. Because he leads us out of captivity and allows us to live in the promise that he has for us. That's heaven on earth before we get to the actual heaven with him. All we have to do is recognize and follow him and then allow the Holy Spirit to help us along that path. That's what our part is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as the worship team comes. Lord, I pray for those that are powerless. I pray for those that have been drug off to to Babylon. Or maybe they just ran off to Babylon, Lord. I don't know, but I I pray that, that you will just open their heart. Open their minds. Open their souls to allow your spirit to help them out of the situation. It may be a tough road ahead. It may be years Or it may be an instant. 
Lord, I pray that we learn the lessons that you're trying to teach us. I pray that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness of our sin that's in our lives, to repent, to fall on our face, and to say, you are my God. Help me follow you. Lord, I pray that you help us get rid of the I will try harder attitude. Because trying harder doesn't get anything done. Only through your spirit can we resist sin. Only through your spirit can we conquer the things that are of this world and that are not of you. And I pray that you surround us with people that can help us in that journey. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May the Lord's face always be turned towards you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.